sit at home and watch television. Um, and, and it's not, I, I, listen, it's at six, it's at, what time is it tonight? Six o'clock. It's at six o'clock tonight. It is not, believe me, it is not so the musicians can have their needs fulfilled. It's not that at all. It's that God made us a worshiping people. And uh, he, he, he made us a vibrantly worshiping people. And he did so just even by the literature he chose in his word. I mean, there's, there's tons of highly stylized. Where do you go when your heart is sad? Where do you go usually? The Psalms? It's poetry. God knows how he made us. It resonates in your heart because God knows how he made us. Anyway, that's why we worship in song. It's uh, biblical. It's prescribed for the church. And uh, I just encourage you to come tonight. Don't blow it off. It's really going to be an awesome thing. And we've got, uh, we've got some cool video elements this year that uh, we just had some cool like on-location uh, stuff happen, and I think you're going to love it. So some new things. Hey, uh, this was also left over from the... Uh, I thought I'd show you this thing. If I could do it right, we were playing with them in the kitchen. Hang on a second. Is this it? Huh? Yeah, I got it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I think I got them on backward, but uh, is that not groovy? Anyway, we played with these all night. Is that not cool? Anyway, uh, we had some cool white elephant things. Oh, let me shut these off. Hold on. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Not a distraction at all. Are they still on? Man, okay, hang on. Sorry. Okay, here we go. Anyway, very, very cool. Uh, thank you all for a wonderful time last night. It was a blast. All right, open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And uh, you guys who are visiting, we usually start books like in chapter 1, verse 1, move on through and just see what happens, see what God has in store for our hearts. So, Here we are, John chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 48, John 6, verse 48. This is God's word. Jesus is talking, and he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you who have no life in you, uh, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Uh, Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, this has been a news story. It's kind of ironic. It's been a news story for the past few years, but it resurfaced again last week in a news feed I was looking at uh, and read this article. Uh, It says that the first human to live to 1,000 has already been born today. 
Um, and isn't it funny that that's been a story, like you could find a story like starting in 2015, the first person lived in 2000, well, now it's really true. But uh, so they say because of technological, medical, uh, genetic advances and so on, um, uh, the per- first person to live to a thousand has already been born today. Uh, I'm going to cite a few things from that article, okay? But I'm going to start with one thing that I thought was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is right from the article. It says, um, while the technology to deep freeze a body already exists, the science to reanimate a corpse is not yet in place. <laughs> now, that sounds really scientific and, and heady, doesn't it? But listen, let me read it again. While the technology to deep freeze a body already exists, yeah, it's called a freezer. <laughs> we all have one. Woo, it already exists, the technology. Um, the science to reanimate a corpse is not yet in place. And friends, isn't that the point? I mean, you can't reanimate a corpse. I remember Frankenstein. Uh, it's hard to do. Um, anyway, I thought that was hilarious in this so-called scientific article, but it does cite some interesting science. Um, here's a brief description of what the article says. It says something like this, that we can make a map of a person's neural networks, right, and then upload their brainwaves to the cloud where they can live on conceivably forever. Okay, maybe. They uh, take your put it in the cloud. But let me ask you a question. Does that sound like life to you? Living in the cloud? What are you doing? Just, what are you doing up there? Uh, how about this? Um, uh, basically, the idea is uh, that we can learn to regenerate everything through stem cell research and all that. You know how they're building cartilage and knees and all that kind of stuff. Eventually, you clone body parts. and So Dennis Craig, uh, we just like, well, that's not working too well. Let's make a new one. That's not working too well. Let's make a new one. Let's inject it. Regeneration and all that. And so the idea is that if we just regenerate everything on a person uh, with their own body parts and so on, uh, the person just keeps being rebuilt. And of course, you know, I'm asking the question, if we can do that, why are you saying the first person to live to a thousand? Why don't you just say forever? Uh, if, if you're just going to regenerate indefinitely, um, I, don't, I don't get it. But uh, so that's question number one, why stop at a thousand? Question number two is this, um, have you ever met a good looking 95 year old? I mean, even when you meet a good-looking 95-year-old, you're like, man, you look fantastic. You look 86. <laughs> wow. Not that there aren't good 86, good-looking 86-year-olds. I don't mean to insult Howard Carmen, but, um... <laughs> but how about this, though, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, when you read that about living to 1,000, um, have you, um, what do you think about fallen hearts and minds? Can you imagine living to 150 or 200, or 500, or 1,000, um, when, when all these things inside the fallen heart have bubbled for a long time. Can you imagine the moral condition of, an, of a fallen uh, creation? Uh, I can't imagine that it would be very, uh, be very charming. Uh, and by the way, gravity works, and so I don't know how all this stuff plays into gravity. But, you know, I... Um, I, I, you remember Richard Spohr, Richard and Trish Spohr, who used to go here? Richard Spohr was this attorney, and he talked like this, and he was very intense and had drank a lot of coffee and everything, and he was very bright and brilliant. And, um, but he, I remember him telling me, they're friends, they're friends of ours. Um, and uh, even that, what? Huh? They used to be friends of ours. Yeah, actually, they left the church, but they're still friends of ours. Uh, but, uh, you know, he used to say, uh, I'm convinced, the longer we're married, the more, the, the, the more I'm convinced that um, we just help each other with our mental deficiencies. You know, we just help each other cope and make it to the finish line where we finally go, oh, heaven. Anyway, I don't know what life would be like living a thousand years on this, on this earth. But 
all that to say, I start that way because this passage here, the John 6 that we've been, that we've been resting in for, for a couple of months now, what is the big point here? Um, I think the big point is this, uh, eternity. <laughs> that's, the big, that's the big concept here, eternity. You know, Jesus has just finished teaching in verse 47. If you look at it, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Eternal life is the point of this chapter. Not a thousand years, but eternal life. Not a temporal life here on this earth, but a spiritual existence and a physical existence that goes on forever and ever. And it all starts with this feeding, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in chapter 6, verse 1 through 15. The crowd follows him, and they're asking him questions, and they're making parallels. You know, they hear Jesus speaking in these grand terms. Jesus is teaching. Imagine this itinerant preacher shows up. He's kind of famous already. People are listening to him, and he's talking about flesh and blood and eating my flesh and blood. It sounds so strange, doesn't it? It is very strange. I admit, it's very strange. But listen how Jesus is speaking in these grand terms. Um, Oh, verse 26, look at it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Remember, he fed the 5,000. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now, what a thing to say. Imagine hearing that for the first time, going, whoa, whoa, what? Jesus is saying, don't worry about the temporal stuff. Yeah, you want your physical needs met, great. But don't focus on that. Rather, focus on the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which Jesus called himself all the time, the Son of Man, will give to you. For on the Son of Man, the Father has set a seal. What grand terms. Even if you don't understand it, you at least go, whoa, this Jesus is making giant um, cosmic-level claims here, truly cosmic, eternal life. The Father, God the Father, Yahweh, has set his seal on the Son. What a thing. And so the people hear this. And by the way, the, the theme eternal life shows up in that again. He's talking about eternal life. And it appears that Jesus is the agent too. Um, I will give it to you. The Father set his seal on me. I'll give it to you. Jesus is the agent of eternal life. That's what his claim is. What a claim. All right, so what is our big idea today? Oops, I forgot. Oh, concert, don't forget that. Oh, I forgot the funny stuff. Oh, dang it. Dang it. I forgot the funny stuff. Sorry. I forgot that too. All right, let's move on. Sorry about that. I forgot the, I forgot the humor. Um, hold on. Come on, computer. There it is. Here it is, our big point. Um, to believe in Jesus is to have eternal life. To deny him is to perish. There's no in-between, saith the scriptures, saith the Savior. I know that's blunt, but there's just no other way to put it if you're going to believe what this Jesus has said. To preach Christ is to preach against every other belief system. And that doesn't mean we're hateful toward any other belief system. We are to respect everybody. Uh, We are to respect fellow image bearers, all created in God's image, all on equal plane. But to preach Christ is to preach him exclusively. It is to say he's the only way, he's the only truth, he's the only life. That's not mean-spirited. That is somebody saying, hey, don't drink poison and die. 
If you want a right relationship with this living God, there's one way, and it's this Jesus Christ. It is to say that there is a spiritual reality when it comes to this God, and to preach Christ is to preach against any other belief system. Christ is the only way to this living God. All right, so to our first point, it says, crass, I know, but eat me. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, Let's look at um, verse 48. I am the bread of life. Um, now, we've got, a, we've got a theological shock here, or I should say a continuation of one. I am the bread of life. Uh, remember, in verse 31, he says, um, uh, the, the, he says um, uh, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Uh, the, the, excuse me, the people say this. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread to eat. And Jesus says to them, hey, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. My father gives you true bread. And so Jesus clearly knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're going, okay, um, this, sound, this, this miracle uh, bread son of man guy um, claims to be from God. He claims to be this provision sent by God, and it sure sounds a lot like manna in the wilderness with Moses. You remember when uh, the Israelite people were delivered from slavery and Egyptian captivity, and there's the wilderness wanderings? You remember, by the way, why God... Um, brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Do you remember what he remember what it was for? So that they might worship me in the desert. Pretty cool. So he delivers them from captivity so that they might worship God, free to worship God. And so uh, they go, "Wow, this uh, this Jesus. Um, it's kind of like uh, this this God who makes this provision for the the wandering uh, Jews." Um, is making a, prov- a bread provision here. It seems like Jesus is making this, uh, this connection. Indeed, he is. They're picking up on it, and Jesus knows uh, that they're picking up on it. But as we saw last week, um, verse 41, the Jews grumbled because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So that's where we pick up the story today. Um, verse 46, it says, uh, not that anyone has seen God. And so, excuse me, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. So the theme is still brewing. Jesus is continuing with this theme. He's saying, they ate manna in the wilderness. It kept them alive, yay. But eventually, they all kick the bucket. We all do. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the one who provides it eternally. It's pretty awesome and amazing. Um, If you eat of it, you will not die. And here's where it all comes to a head. In verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven, And here it is. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, that is pretty strange sounding, isn't it? I mean, they're they're tracking with Jesus going, okay, bread, all right, you did this bread miracle. That's okay. That's that's a little credibility there. I'd like to see some more tricks, if you wouldn't mind. Jesus says, hey, I'm the bread of life. Just believe. And uh, they're, they're, they're tracking, they're tracking. And then he says, uh, the life of the world is in my flesh. Now, that would have been shocking to them, and it would have been shocking uh, to anyone who hasn't read the Gospel of John. I mean, it just sounds weird uh, when Jesus talks about his flesh. Um, verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, uh, there's a few things that are important that we need to talk about here. Um, first of all, we must remember that Jesus' continued theme is eternal life. Uh, he's keeping that theme going, that he's the provider of it. Secondly, Jesus continues to stress that the spiritual um, 
uh, is greater than the temporal. Don't just look at the earthly life. There's a spiritual realm. And indeed, Jesus came to set up what kind of a kingdom? An earthly one? No. A spiritual one. Now, does he renew all things? Is he the king? Yes. Will he come again and reign over all things? Absolutely. It's, a, it's an eternal kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom full of people who are spiritually alive. That's his point. Um, it's no small thing that this whole event takes place when? Do you remember? During the Passover. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. In one year, there will be another Passover. And guess what's going to happen? The Lamb of God will be killed. <laughs> one year later, there's going to be another Passover, and Jesus is going to be killed. Um, and so the message is veiled in one sense, considering the Passover. Um, but, but the idea is to accept and believe the provision of God is to live and to reject it is to die. Um, you remember the um, Israelites grumbled in the desert? They grumbled against their leadership, which is grumbling against God ultimately. They grumbled in the desert. Well, it says here in verse 41, the Jews grumbled about Jesus. Um, A.W. Pink says this um, of what Jesus is communicating through all this. He says, um, I am that which every sinner needs and without which he will surely perish. That is Jesus' message. That, that, that's that's, that's, um, that's a paraphrase of what he's saying. That sounds like a lot like our main idea, doesn't it? That um, to believe in Jesus is to have eternal life, to deny him is to perish. Well, how does this apply to your life? Um, to be a person of faith does not mean you suspend all reason. I mean, that's what, that's what the world thinks of us. They think we're a bunch of lunatics and we're dummies and we believe fairy tales and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, um, but it, it, we don't suspend all reason. To the contrary, the concept is quite rational. I think that when people, they, people hear the gospel and they think of eternal things, that I think they think that just can't be true. I mean, it just can't be true. I hear what you're saying, but it just can't be true and it's this broad dismissal. But it's not irrational. Think about it. If there is a God who designed us and made us, you ever made something? You ever designed something? You ever created something? Do you have sovereign right over what you made? Of course you do. I designed it to be this way. It's to function this way. Um, I could change it if I want to. There's a right way for it to work. If you're the creator, you get to have that say. Well, God is the creator. It is not irrational to say, if there is a God, Okay, just for a second, just don't go, that can't be true. You don't know that it can't be true. You don't know. If there is a God, it stands to reason that he has a sovereign right over everything he's made, over the way everything's supposed to operate, over the way the body is supposed to work, over the way we're supposed to relate one to another as image bearers. Does that make sense? It does. Um, rebelling against that is what sin is. That, that's the problem. And that's not irrational at all. The problem is uh, believing in this God or not. Um, here's a good quote from J.C. Ryle. Whatever a man, feeling his own guilt and sinfulness, lays hold on Christ and trusts in the atonement made for him by Christ's death, at once he eats of the flesh of the Son of Man and drinks of his blood. Simply put, are you all in? You know, when Jesus talks about his flesh, um, we'll, we'll talk about this more in our next point. He, he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. 
I know that's a, it, it's, it, I know you want to go, oh, that sounds a lot like the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper. Well, I'll explain in a minute. He's talking about, are you all in? Have you looked at this cross of Jesus Christ beyond saying, oh, what a wonderful symbol that is? Oh, what wonderful teaching that Jesus has given us. Oh, what a wonderful example. Oh, what a sad scene that is. Jesus was this martyr. And uh, what, a, what a merciful, what an example for us to lay down our lives. Yeah, those things, yes. But that's not salvation. Believing in the cross of Jesus Christ is throwing it all in and saying, you know what? I'm a sinner. I have rebelled against my creator, and that is sin. God sent Jesus Christ, the God, the Son of God, to live a human life that's perfect. I couldn't do it. He could do it, and he did it. And he died on the cross in my place because he was innocent and he could take the punishment. If you believe that, you're all in. That's the point. Drinking the flesh, eating the flesh, drinking the blood, that's what Jesus is talking about. Um, He's saying, are you all in? Uh, What does it mean to trust in Jesus? Here's another good quote for you. This is awesome. Uh, We trust in Christ when we recognize that our sins threaten us with damnation from which the cross is our only escape. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, our next point. Jesus doubles down. Uh, 52. So he says, that he, find, he, he spills it. He says, uh, I, uh, the bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews, in verse 52, disputed among themselves, saying, wait, 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 how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And I love this. It says, so Jesus said to them, Right? He's not going, no, 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 wait a second. <laughs> I don't mean to confuse you. Uh, what I meant was, no, he doesn't. He steps on the gas. He says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. And uh, he doesn't back off of that. You know, it, it, does, it, gets, it gets weird, but he doesn't back off the, of what he's putting in the brochure. Uh, Whoever feeds on my flesh drinks on my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. There you have again Jesus, the agent of living. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks on my blood, abides in me, I in him. And it goes on and on. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't back off at all. He's saying, no, this is what I'm saying. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. It's wild. Um, but, but again, Jesus says that on purpose. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to polling data. He says, it's a so Jesus said to them, boom. Now, if you think the idea of eating flesh and drinking blood is revolting, imagine what it was like for the Jewish hearer. I mean, the, the life of a blood is in, in a, the, the, yeah, the, the life of a thing is in the blood, Leviticus 17. Um, they were not allowed by dietary restrictions to eat anything with, a, with blood still in it. And I know some of you go, ew, uh, Blood sausage from England. I would never eat that. Um, it's okay now. It's okay. You know why? Because everything's okay. God said so to Peter. It's all okay. You don't have to, have, you don't have to feel weird about things. Um, but the question is, how are we to interpret Jesus here when he's talking about his flesh and blood? What is he talking about specifically? How do we interpret the, the, the fact that he's, he's pressing this point and pressing it and pressing it? Well, some people have said this. They go, oh, well, this is just really... Um, a way to understand Jesus' humanity, you know, flesh and blood. Common phrase, right? Cliche almost, flesh and blood. Um, this is a way to understand Jesus' uh, humanity. In other words, when you're discouraged, 
just look at Jesus' humanity and, and how wonderful it is, okay? That's how some people try to uh, interpret this and take kind of the weird edges off of it, right? I don't think that's right. Here's another thing that people do. They'll say uh, his instruction has to do with the Lord's Supper. They go, well, flesh and blood, well, obviously, that means the Lord's Supper. Well, let me ask you a question. How could his hearers know what he was talking about if the Lord's Supper isn't even instituted until a year later? And I know you go, well, it could have been, uh, it could have been kind of a, a foreshadow and so on. I think that's ridiculous. I, he's, he's, he's not... He's, he's not uh, let me give you another thing. Uh, in, verse, in, in verses uh, 53 and 54, listen to this. Um, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks on my blood, has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. Is he teaching then that the Lord's Supper saves you? Can't be. He can't be talking about the Lord's Supper. Number one, it hasn't been instituted yet. But number two, if he says... Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life. Is he saying if you take communion, uh, you're saved? No. It cannot be. This cannot be about communion. It cannot be. Um, how about this? Um, oh, oh, yeah, I think it's in Matthew. Hang on. I put, forgot my verse reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, when Jesus does institute the, the Lord's Supper, um, yeah, check this out. Um, this is in Matthew uh, 26, 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. After blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my what? Body. He does not say flesh. He says, my body. It's my body broken for you. By the way, I love how Dr. Young does that. Takes the bread. You know, they're all already split except one. And then he purells or whatever paper towels or whatever he does. I think he's Purell's now, but uh, he'll say, this is my body, broken for you. It's his body. Jesus doesn't say flesh there. He doesn't use the word flesh. Um, and how about this? In verse uh, 51 of our passage, um, yeah, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's not talking about something uh, we will ultimately do, but he was, he's talking about that which he will ultimately do. I will give. He's not talking about us taking communion. He's talking about what he will give, what he will do. Um, so this is not about the Lord's Supper. It is about, as I said in our last point, going all in. It is believing that he is laying down his life on a cross in the place of sinners. You feed on that, and you are, you are in a sense, drinking blood and, and uh, eating his flesh. You get it? Um, all right, so application for our lives. Again, it's at Passover. And at the first Passover, uh, what did they do um, uh, before they put blood on the doorposts? Remember they put blood on the doorposts? And the angel of death passed over. What did they do before they did that? Do you know what they did? Huh? They killed the lamb. What did they do? That's right. What did they do before that? Huh? Unleavened bread? What did they do to the lamb? Ate it. They ate it. You know, um, we were on vacation probably through Alabama somewhere, and I saw some, you know, billboard, and uh, it said Jesus was a vegetarian. He was not a vegetarian. I, I, that's, that's cuckoo. We know he ate fish after he was resurrected. But you know what else we, we know he ate? We know he ate it. He probably ate olives. 
He probably had olive oil. He probably had figs. I mean, you can go, he probably ate a lot of stuff that's, you know, uh, common to their, their day. But we know he ate lamb. We know he did because he came to fulfill all righteousness. He celebrated Passover. He was a Jew. We know that he ate lamb. Oh, I've told this to Acuff, and he orders lamb every time he goes to a restaurant now. But uh, feels like extra righteous. Um, but, um, but, but I know I know you go, ooh, lamb. Ugh. They're fluffy and soft, and they look so cuddly and everything. That's the point. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, go, order lamb, everybody. It's delicious. Uh, it's a Rolls Royce ingredient. But my point is, I'm straying. Uh, but um, what did John the Baptist say when he introduces Jesus? He sees his Jesus coming on the scene. He says, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Here it is Passover. Jesus is talking about his flesh and blood, eating his flesh and blood. Behold the Lamb of God. Do you see the connections that are coming together between the Old and the New Testament? How the Old Testament foreshadows the New, points toward the New, points toward fulfillment of all things in Jesus Christ? Eat of him. Drink of his blood like the Israelites did. They ate the lamb, the Passover lamb in obedience. They put blood on the doorposts and, 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 they, were, and they were passed over by the angel of death. That's the point here. Um, here's another good quote for you from a good theologian. By eating the Passover lamb, the Israelites identified with the sacrifice for sin offered by the lamb of God. What do you think Jesus is communicating here? I say it's precisely that. Our last point, and it's a short one, in the synagogue. I don't want to press this too hard, but, you know, you see, a, you see a little morsel just hanging there. All of a sudden, this thing pops in there that's a little unexpected. Jesus is doing this teaching. The crowds have followed him, um, and so on. He's in Capernaum. And in verse 59, it says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And... Um, like I say, I don't want to press this point too hard. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that's being reported here. But, you know, folks, the synagogue was a place of singing. The synagogue was a place of the scriptures. The synagogue was a place of fellowship, one with another, fellowship with Yahweh. And uh, that's where the gospel belongs. Yes, it must go out to the world. It must. But it goes out to the world that believers might come into the church, might come in and gather in eager worship having been delivered from captivity. That's one of the things that binds us together, friends. We've been delivered from captivity. Can we not celebrate that together? Should we not celebrate that together? All of us, all the peoples, all the saved peoples all over the world. It's a new race. It's a new people. It's a new category that never existed before. And we're all in it. Now, I close with this. Back to the notion of living for a thousand years or even conceptually forever because uh, we keep regenerating Dennis Craig and he just keeps living and living and living. It goes on and on. You know, when I, when, when I did college ministry um, 20 years ago, it was really a, a fun time. Um, where's my wife? Oh, she's at Coffee Bar, I think. Yeah, she is. Um, but uh, it was a fun time, y'all. It was so fun. Um, one of the things I loved most about college ministry is, um, you know, some of you have college-age kids, 
and you look at them, and they're, they're, they're 21, and you're like, ay, ay, ay. Right when you think they're mature, they do the dumbest thing ever, and it's like 21 dumb. You know, 14 dumb really messes up a lot of stuff, but 21 dumb, dumb does a lot of damage, you know? They're big, they're, they're cocky, they think they know everything, and you're just like, ay, ay, ay. And uh, so, you know, you see them with all their baggage, and you know all the bad decisions they've made, but when you're the college minister, all you know is... Hey, what's up, Bob? Oh, your name's Bob? Hey, cool. What's up, man? You have a totally clean, you, you got no baggage. You don't know anything about them except this person that walked in their life. They're big, <laughs> you know, they're articulate. They have all these skills and their, their, their synapses are firing and, and there's all this hope and promise in them. And it was just thrilling. It was just thrilling. Um, and then you do it for a few years, and you, you watch them, and they're, you know, they're, they're not married either, a lot of them. They're, they're dating, they're hanging out, and they're, that guys and girls are friends. It's that weird point in life where guys and girls are hanging out together and stuff, and, and uh, you know, they, they la- would laugh, and they go, oh, so-and-so is so OCD, ha, <laughs> and so-and-so gets nervous, and so-and-so is, has anxiety problems, and ha, <laughs> and so-and-so is this, and they have all these little baggage problems, but, you know, they're just young still. In my observation, you watch that incubate for 20 years, it ain't cute anymore. Um, You watch people's sin propensity incubate for about 20 years, it's it's harder. Um, I don't know about you. I mean, God is in the sanctifying business, and he's changing us. Um, I've told Tammy, we, we talk about this a lot. She's not the woman I married. I'm not the man she married. Um... I'm not the employee I used to be. Dr. Young's not the employer he used to be. He's a different man. I, we, we watch each other over time and go, wow, God changes us. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing in, in the sanctified life. But take Christ out of it and let those things incubate for 20 years or 200 years or 800 years. Can you imagine what life would be? Are you kidding me? Friends, this fallen world needs a savior, and God has provided one, one, the man, Jesus Christ, the man like us, flesh and blood, the man who lived a perfect life, perfect righteousness, laid it down on a cross so that we could live. Believe in him. Throw it all in. Step over that razor's edge and say, you know what? I don't understand everything about what that guy said. I don't understand everything about what the, what the gospel is. I, I, I can't read this whole Bible and understand everything in it. It's okay. Understand this. You're guilty before a holy God. You ever felt shame? Okay. You're guilty before a holy God. You need forgiveness. And God provided the one way in Jesus Christ. Believe on him and you will be saved. Righteous Father. We're grateful that you did not give up on us, and we're thankful for such a hopeful message, for, such a, for a thing that just rattles our lives in a good way, in a joyful way, that, that there's hope, that there's redemption, that there's climbing out of darkness, that there's freedom in the heart, that there's the, the possibility that guilt can be lifted off our souls. What a wonder it is, Lord. Might we approach Christmas with a new sense of that wonder, and might we leave here today Uh, not without a living Savior, uh, our flesh, our blood, the one on whom we rely. We pray it in Christ's name only. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.